Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, lead pastor of Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith so you experience the goodness of God and the greatness of your unique voice in His kingdom. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at overflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional on amazon.com. All right, y'all. Well, listen, you see all kinds of props up here. You know when props are coming and you got a teacher that's talking, buckle in. It's going to be fun. So we kicked off a few weeks ago into a brand new series called Lord, Build Your Church. And we said at the start of this time that we had several goals for the weeks ahead. And we also said that we're not going to rush through this series. I want to tell you, this is one of the most foundational series that we could possibly have in this region of how we walk as the church. So we started and we said our first goal was going to be we were going to define clearly and align with Jesus's intent for the church, that Jesus has things he's saying about the church. There's a billion other opinions, but we need to agree with Jesus. And so we spent the last few weeks saying, what does Jesus say the church is? And we found four things. We said first that Jesus said that the church is the strategy. Say the. The doesn't mean a. The means the. It's the strategy to conquer hell and to release heaven on earth. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The second one we said, we went to Acts chapter 2. We said that the church is the family that stays together and stays with God and releases him on earth. Last week we talked about how the church is the body of a diverse expression centered around a unified goal. And then we shared how the church is the bride, that we are adored and we are presently being prepared and made perfect by our Father. And that, yes, when we look at the church, she's broken, but she's still the bride, and she's beautiful, and there's much more glory to come. That's where we started. And that's great. Can we say that's great? great. That's where we started. And what we talked about is what the church is. But today I want to start to take a pivot into how the church fulfills her calling. And this is what's important because many people have talked about what the church is. We've talked a lot. It's probably not the first time you heard the church is a body or the church is a bride or we should stay together. I don't know. Probably not the first time we've heard those things of what or who the church is. But we don't talk nearly enough about how the church is to operate. And here's why that matters. If we merely define the church but fail to develop how we operate, all we're left with is empty platitudes that will hurt people. I've heard a lot of people that have been hurt by a lot of churches. And listen, I want to be clear on this. I've seen, like you have in some of the documentaries, some toxic leadership that has come within churches, and it breaks my heart for that to be said of the Church of the Living God. But i got to tell you, over 25 years in this region, and listen, for for me here, I, I have stood on this place since 2001. We have longevity here in this house i got to tell you, as I've stood here, what I've seen in the Tampa Bay region is a church of Tampa that is pure and that is holy and that is not toxic. I've seen churches full of good people, with good pastors, with good hearts. And you know what I've seen here and at all those other churches? I've still been seeing lots of people get hurt, right? Raise your hand if you've ever been hurt within a church. Come on, right? We see people, some of you are like, I ain't even going to raise my hand because I'm going to raise my hand and you're going to know you're the one that hurt me. Um, (laughs) I want to say this to us. If you're a part of a good church with good people and yet you feel unseen and overlooked, disconnected, or you feel there's some kind of inequity happening in the body, that is a problem. But it's not the problem the culture is saying that cancel culture is saying, well, you just call them names and you just leave. No, it's not a problem with the heart. It's a problem with the how. The problem is we don't know how to operate, and it's a blind spot. And here's the thing about a blind spot. We all have blind spots. I've got blind spots. You've got blind spots. Churches have blind spots. Why? The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. So until Jesus comes back, every church, every building with a steeple is going to have blind spots. And we can either take that with offense or we can take that as an opportunity for heaven to come through a diverse family. 
We've chosen as a church to see it as an opportunity. That when we see in a good church with good people that I still feel left out, I still feel hurt, I still feel misunderstood, that we go, oh, there's more glory to be had. And more than likely, if you see it, you're supposed to be a part of the solution. So we don't need to stew in suspicion or question motives. And for the love of God, we don't need to leave. We need to stay together. And so what I want to do today is I want to start talking about the how. And I need to give you a warning. I'm a teacher. And so many times when I come and teach, I have no shortage of words or no shortage of notes. And many of you come out and go, wow, that was a really heavy teaching message. I don't know if you see what's on the bottom of this slide right here. It says, Lord, build your church teaching series. Because usually what I do is not teaching, it's inspiring. Today we're going to be teaching. And so for those of you that have a teaching grace, you're going to be like, yes! Because we're going to walk through much of Ephesians 3 and much of Ephesians 4, but I just want to say, for the rest of you, when another verse pops up in another, you're going to be like, oh dear Lord, are we getting out before dinner? I want to tell you this. I'm going to be very mindful. I've trimmed all the fat of anything I need to say because I want to be very practical. I don't want to entertain us today. I want to move us to the how. And I have tried as many ways as I can in four and a half years to split up what I'm going to share with you in different contexts, but this is what I found. If I don't share all of this in one place, we won't have our marching orders clearly on the how. And so we're going to take one day where we look at all of this from 30,000 feet, and then I'm going to take the next five or six messages that I'm going to preach and actually unpack a little piece at a time. So if at any point today you're like, oh my goodness, I just feel like we started doing trigonometry. Okay, if that happens... Just know we're going to slow down and unpack it. I don't believe that's going to happen because the role of teaching is to take complex things and make them clear. But let me just say the obvious from the start. How the church is supposed to operate is a complex thing. Because in all of our buildings, we have not seen a lot of people that have figured it out. So humbly, we're going to try to take the next step, Overflow Church, into the how. And here's where we're going to start this morning. We're going to step into the dirt that we were made in and look at Christ in you and Christ in me, the hope of glory. If you remember when we talked about it, and I'm going to unpack this in the weeks to come, but I said there's four indicators when we start to talk about Christ in you, the hope of glory. How do you know the glory you carry? How do you know what it is you bring the church that makes us look more like heaven? We said there's four indicators. We said the first one is passion. Passion is what gets you up in the morning. It's what burns within you. It's what gets you excited. It's what, when somebody starts to preach, you're like, amen. I've said many times to people, when you come to me and say, that's the best message you ever preached. You told me more about you than you told me about me. You told me about your passion. It lit something in you because that's who you are. Praise God. The second indicator we said was a burden. If a passion is what gets you excited, a burden is the opposite side of that coin. A burden is often in the very same area, but it's where you see the world is broken. And it's this this responsibility that you can't shake, that there's something broken and you desperately want to be part of the solution. It's the commercials that you cry at. It's the movies that you go to that you're just shaken and you can't be okay. It's a good indicator of the glory in you. The third one is your gifting. This is an area of recognized strength. I've got to say this in an age, you remember all the way back when American Idol came on and you saw the first auditions of the people that went on American Idol that must have had the cruelest friends ever because they showed up and they're like, I can sing. And they're like, Mary had And you're like, oh my gosh, nobody told them. Let me say this about gifting. Gifting is an area of recognized strength. So if you run in a place and go, I'm a teacher, and nobody's following you, then either that's not your gifting or it has not yet hit the surface. So you want to look for the areas. Where is it that people around me go, wow, when you walk in the room, this this is something you carry. And we've got to stop deflecting that. And the last one, and this is the most important, because I've seen many people that have gotten one, two, and three, and then they're like, but why am I not being used in the church? And it's because the fourth one is missing. We have to walk in health physically, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. We've got to walk in health as a body. And so this is the way we start to see Christ in us, the hope of glory. I'm going to unpack what this is, but today, say today. Today Today we're going to talk about all of us. Somewhere I hope today you're going to start to see something and go, that might be Christ in me, the hope of glory. And I'll give you some language around that, and you'll see which message especially in the weeks to come you really need to pay attention to. So as we look at this, I want to start today by talking about five gifts of grace that have been placed in you by the Holy Spirit. These are diverse expressions of God's heart, and they are all in us because the Holy Spirit is in us. And this is how God designed his church to move together, to mature each other to fullness and love 
and in power. So I'm going to dive into some scriptures this morning, but before that, I've got to define three very important words for us to be able to move forward. So we can pull up that first. The first word I want to define for us is grace. Is grace the first one that I gave us? Hallelujah. That's good. I like when that happens. Okay, so when we talk about grace, there's a general sense of the word of grace, and there's a specific sense. You see this show up all over this passage, Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 4 as we walk through. Grace is a gift from God that fills you with joy and is for your benefit. So I need to be really clear about this. We've heard about grace a lot. We talk about grace. Maybe you've heard grace is unmerited favor. Anybody heard that one before? That's awesome, but it's not nearly complete. Because you know how you feel about just unmerited favor? You got a gift and you don't deserve it. Anybody get excited about that? We're Americans, right? We got to work for things. The actual true sense of grace, yes, it's a gift from God you don't deserve, but actually it's a gift from God that God gave you in absolute giddy delight. And not only did he give it in delight, but it's not grace until it fills you with delight. It's given in delight to fill you with delight, and it's for your benefit. That's the word grace. Now, we're going to see in this passage there's a specific sense of the word grace, and this is a specific manifestation, an appearance of something about God's character. Okay, so grace is a gift that God gives in joy. He delights. He doesn't want you to push it away. It's given for your benefit. What's the benefit here in Ephesians 3 and 4? That you carry a manifestation of God's character. That there's some place you look like your daddy. There's some place that you carry something with him. This leads us into the next definition that we're going to need to get. And this is the definition, glory. The word glory. The word glory means a splendor and brightness and substance. So anytime you're reading glory, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Listen to me. Christ in you is the hope of substance. What is it that you carry? There's a specific place that this manifestation of God that you carry, this place that you look like him, carries such a weight. Have you ever been in a room with somebody before that when you sit with them, I don't know, something about that moment feels like you're sitting with Jesus himself? Anybody ever been there? You ever been in that place? I can remember my grandma, when I would get, I would be so worked up, and I'd get a phone call from my grandma in South Carolina, and it was like the first little tender crackling of her voice, and I was like, oh, I'm Mary at the feet of Jesus right now. And it wasn't that she was perfect. I'm not teaching some kind of we're becoming gods. No, we're not becoming gods. There's one God, and to God alone belongs the glory. God has all of the glory. He's the God of all glory, right? So who does glory belong to? All to God, right? Is, is anybody else here in the room? Who else does glory belong to? Belongs to God, right? How much glory belongs to God? All the glory. But here's the thing we get when we get in the scripture. Did you know that's not true? Because over and over and over again in scripture, what it says is that what God delights to do is to take the glory, all of which belongs to him, and to plant a seed of it in you. There's a specific imprint of the image of God in you that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's not only bright and radiant, it doesn't just fire you up like when Nancy Knight comes to greet you in the morning. But just like when Nancy Knight comes, you see that beyond the, the facade, there's substance there. There's something there that we can actually walk with. Okay, that's the second word. The third word that we need, and then we're going to dive in. You guys are like, oh, dear Lord, this is still the introduction. Yes, it is. <laughs> we get the last word. The last word is measure. And when we look at the word measure, the word measure means a determined portion or an extent of something. Okay. So for something to be determined, it means that beforehand, you decided how much there is. This bottle has a measure of liquid, right? It's got the number of ounces that it carries and nothing more. The, the bottle are actually determined beforehand. This is how high it's going to fill and no higher. That makes sense? So God says that he's given each of us a measure of his grace and his glory. There's a measure that he gave. It's a portion. But here's what's amazing. is As we go into the scripture, what we're going to see is that he, he has already said in these five graces we've talked about, they're already all in you. And before you were born, in your DNA, there are measures of this grace in you. They're already there. And he says that when we walk as the church, he wants all of those measures to increase. Let me ask you a question. What would happen right now if I tried to increase the measure of this bottle? 
There's a word for that. It's the church that you're sitting in. It would overflow. See, what God says is, I want to fill you and I want to fill the church so much that what? There's so much of my glory that it actually pours out into the streets and people see a manifestation of my substance. Now, I want to show you this in Ephesians 3 and 4, but let me give you a big idea to root us in today. It's this. You ready? God's glory in you is the measure of the unique expressions of grace you allow to grow in you and flow through you. Let me say that again so you get it. God's glory in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Anybody want to know it? You want to know Christ in you, the hope of glory? God's glory in you. What is it? It's the unique expression. It means not like anybody else. Nikki Hathorne has a different expression of grace than anybody else on the planet. So God's glory in Nikki is the unique expression of God's grace in her that she will allow to grow in her and flow through her. That's where it goes. We start to see this in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul writes, he says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace, there's that word, that was given to me for you. In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I want to unpack this. He starts this word with administration. He says, when I step into the church, there's an administration. The, the word is oikonomos. It's a, it's a compound word, and it means the law of the house. He says, when you step into the church, God's got a law in his house. Now listen, all of us, whether you know it or not, you've got laws in your house, don't you? You come in. You take off your shoes. That would be somebody's law in the house, right? You clean up after yourself. In my house, the law of the house, which we have a lot of lawbreakers, is for the love of God, turn off the bathroom light, right? That's a law of the house. Not being obeyed, Gabriel. Um, I love you. Actually, Gabriel does better than any of the rest of them, so I can pick on him. Bradley. Um, Bradley's at college. He leaves on his own bathroom light. Um, <laughs> We have a law of the house, right? Everybody has the unspoken rules in your house. And Paul starts and he says, listen, God has a law of the house. God has a law of the house. And what's the law of the house? The law of the house is grace. God said that his law is that grace has to be released to all people, to Jews and Gentile and male and female and slave and free, that all of the children will be loved and seen and celebrated. That's the law of the house. However, this thing with administration, it doesn't just mean the way the house runs. It actually is referring to those who have been given the authority to steward it. Listen, parents, you're over your home. Do you ever leave one of your kids in charge when you go, right? You go out, you say, I'm going to the store, and so-and-so's in charge. Now, here's the deal. Can they change the law of the house without consequence? No. You've set the law of the house, so you've given them a certain administration, and you've said, within this, these are the rules that I'm asking you. And you tell all the other siblings, listen to your oldest brother or sister, because they have that. Now, listen, if they don't follow the law of the house, then you're going to have to deal with them who didn't follow it and the kids that didn't follow the person they were supposed to be following, right? We have two problems. But the law of the house is set by the owner of the house. Paul says, God has set a law of the house. Here's the law, that all people, as far from God as they can be, get grace. What? They get a gift from God that fills them with joy for their benefit. He wants to give it to all. He wants to give it to the older son and to the younger son. But Paul said, I've been set up with specific authority for the church, and God has set up leaders in the church, and I want to tell you about them because our job is to actually make sure you get that grace. Paul is now stepping into the how of the church. So he says, I want all people to get this grace, and he continues, and he says that the, the, the community of the church is mysterious. He said there's a mystery taking place here because in this house, God is doing something and offering something that is impossible in any other human community. He says the church is the only community in all of creation because Jesus birthed it that has the opportunity that in all of our diversity we could actually belong to one another. That we could share in the promises of God together and that we could refuse to secure them alone. So Paul continues. He says this. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. There's that word again. Given me through the working of his power. And although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's holy people, this grace was given me 
to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. What's he saying? He's been said, I've been given authority and the church has been given authority that this can actually happen for all people. He's given us a grace as leaders to help you see how we walk that out. And it knows no bounds. It overflows out. That's the blueprint. And he says, for ages past, this was kept hidden in God who created all things. But his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God, would be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul starts this passage saying that he was a servant of the gospel and being a servant of the gospel was actually a gift of God's grace. Can I remind us today that serving Jesus and representing the gospel in America today is not a burden, it is a privilege. Let me say that again for somebody in the back. Representing King Jesus and, yes, even being misunderstood for him is a privilege. It is not a burden. It's meant to fill us with delight. I just want to say this in love. If the shoe fits, kick it off. You weren't made to wear it. If the way you follow Jesus does not fill you with delight, you're doing it wrong. Following Jesus, serving Jesus, representing Jesus was meant to fill us with delight. He said that it's his power working through us. And Paul, the reason he's celebrating is this. He's looking and saying, I blew it more than anyone else. I was the least of the less, the, 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 the least of the least of all of the Lord's people. I blew it. Anybody else in the room say, I've blown it. And he says, nonetheless, not only did grace come to me, but grace, you can look at this, Ephesians 3, that was boundless. It knows no boundaries. And he says, so now it's my privilege. I can't shut up about it. I've got to tell everybody about how we can have it together. But it's more than just you getting it. Because here's the problem. In an individual society, we preach in a way that we go, okay, Josh, I want you to get grace. Now go get grace. Paul said, no, that's only part of the story. Because if Josh gets grace, but the church doesn't get grace, then the world doesn't change. Because the way God wanted to change the world is for the church to operate and stay together in this mysterious community that won't give up on each other, though we have warts and scars, and we stay together, and we lift him up, and we find our glory. He says that God had this plan, and from the very beginning, this was his plan. It was hidden for ages, but now, somebody say now. now. Say it again, because it's exciting. Say now. now. So listen. Thank you, Tom. So now. Now means that what we're about to read next is presently active. It's an opportunity that is on the clock right now. We can step into it. He says, now God's plan to bring all people together and to release his glory into the streets has been made active. And how is it active? By the manifest diversity of his body, choosing to know who they are and to stay together. He goes further and says this. It makes demons tremble. It sets the authorities in heavenly realms on notice. He goes further and says, this is God's eternal purpose. It's the only thing he ever wanted for the church. He goes further and says, the eternal purpose is already accomplished. It's done. So what's the difference in us seeing it? God's actually looking for sons and daughters that would be crazy enough to keep trusting him and to keep following him and to not try to redefine or alter the plan to their own standards because it didn't go the way they wanted it to go. Paul continues. He says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Anybody want freedom and confidence? Yeah. Freedom sound good? Yeah. Confidence sound good? Yay, he does it through the church. He says, so I ask you, therefore, don't be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, because they're for your glory. I just want to give a side note to somebody here, and I almost cut this from my message, and the Lord was like, no, because this isn't the key thing that I'm preaching. He said, somebody needs to hear this right now. There's some place where you're walking faithful before the Lord and you're suffering for it. And he's saying he doesn't want you to be discouraged because your faithfulness is paving a glory for many eyes that are watching you and they're seeing how you're walking. So there's a substance in you that you need to not stop walking in and you need to stop being discouraged about. God sees you. You are not an orphan. Keep walking. Keep going. And glory is coming for you and it's coming for them too. So he continues. And now, we're done with the introduction. Here we go. <laughs> he says, for this reason, 
I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, would have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you would be filled to the measure, there's that word, of all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more, than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When Paul sees a glimpse of the promises of God and the eternal purpose Jesus gave his church that is not for one day, but that is active now, he had one response. I've got to hit my knees. Because what I see is this, that God's glory, God's substance, God's splendor is this endless treasure trove of riches. And somehow what he wants to do with all of that is pour it on us, is pour it on me, is pour it through his church. He's overwhelmed. So he prays this. He says, God, I pray that you would strengthen us. Maybe in your Bible, you read the word you. You read that? I pray God would strengthen you. This would be very helpful for you to do in your Bible because we have a problem with our American language. This actually, you that is written, is almost like every promise in the New Testament. It is not a singular promise. It's a second person plural. It's y'all, okay? What he's actually promising is y'all. By the way, almost every promise that you have knit on a pillow or on a card that you're like, this is God's promise to me. No, it's not. It's his promise to y'all. And you're one of y'all. But when you walk as a disconnected member of the body and go, this is going to be my promise, and you wonder, why is not God not doing it? Because you're not walking according to the plan. Somebody hear me. The promise was for y'all. God did not give a promise to say, hey, Brenda, you go walk however you want to walk, and you could just leave the church and get offended, and just so you know, God's purpose is going to be, he's going to strengthen you with power in your spirit. Because Brenda's going to look and go, why do I not feel strengthened with power in my spirit? And he'd say, because you're disconnected from the body. What body part gets strengthened with power when they're disconnected from the body? My promise was for y'all. Okay, so his promise is for all of us. He says, I pray that that you all, that y'all would be rooted and established in love and that you would grasp something beyond grasping, that you would know a love that surpasses knowledge. Here's the deal. We deal with measure again. If this is what your brain can hold, okay? And God says, I want you to know my love that surpasses knowledge. It cannot possibly go. It's not this. It's that big bucket that you see at the water theme parks that come. And he says, and I'm just pouring it continually. What's going to happen? You're going to overflow into the streets. You're going to look like a lunatic and a maniac. And the problem in the church is not that we've gone too crazy. It's that we're far too reserved for the truth that we hold. I would say sometimes it's because we think we're responsible for filling our measure when God is already giving us immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. He said together, I don't remember what I said. He said, together, I want you all to be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God because God's ready to pour beyond. And so now he steps into how. Somebody say how. How How are we going to do it? Okay. He steps into Ephesians 4 and he shares five measures of grace, five manifestations of God's glory. These are five functions. Now, these are in us all because the Holy Spirit is in us. So when I go to Ephesians 4, two things are going to happen. We're going to see five gifts of grace that are in us all, but then we're going to see five offices of appointed leaders like the Apostle Paul that he gives us to build the local church. Now in America, sadly, we've only taken one of those titles forward. We've taken the title pastor, so we call everybody pastor. That's one of the fivefold graces of leaders that have been given to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so he says, both of these are true. There's that grace in you, but there's also those leaders that need to fill the church. And this has caused a lot of confusion. So I want to take the next few minutes and dispel some of the confusion so we can actually move forward somewhere beautiful together. Okay? So we go into Ephesians chapter 4. If you'd flip the page in your Bible app to Ephesians 4. He says this, 
I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. To each one of us, that's all, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's talking about the measure in you. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, those are the offices, to equip his people, that's us, for the works of service, so that the body of Christ, that's us, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay, so let's look at this. Each one of us have received grace. We've all received a gift from God to fill us with delight for our benefit. And we each carry a measure of his glory. We have all of them. Some of them in your life are going to be stronger, and some of them are going to be weaker. But we all share the same call. The call is that we would live worthy. That we would know who we are because we're going to live like who we believe we are. And that we would stay together because we're going to be built up together. That's how we're going to reach unity and maturity, and we're going to find unity and maturity in two things. We're going to find unity and maturity in our faith. That's that we will actively trust God, and we will find unity and maturity in our knowledge that we will passionately follow God. So we all have grace functions, but then we all have an office. What's the difference, right? Because you might hear people walking around all the time going, I'm an apostle, and I just want to say this to you. If you're not a recognized leader of a local church saying, I'm an apostle, that's actually the wrong language. And I want to tell you why. And I want to tell you why it's really good news that you see that, because you don't want to put a burden on your shoulders that you don't have the grace to carry. What determines a five-fold leader in the church? We talk about an office, not a grace, because here's the difference. We all have the function of grace. Say function. We all have the function. Some have the office. What determines the difference? Well, here it is. A five-fold office in the church. Number one, they operate in clearly recognized anointing and fruit in one of the five grace functions. Now, some of you are like, I'm so confused because I don't even know what five grace functions. I'm going to get it, but I want you to see the whole picture before because this is what I found when I try to tell you the grace functions first, and then I go, this is a function, this is an office. I watch people's heads spin. So I want to explain to you the order, and then you'll see the things and go, got it. That's in me, and there's an office that carries it. For an office... They walk in a clearly recognized anointing and fruit in one of the five grace functions. By the way, they don't show up as two or three or five of those. When they show up, it's I'm an apostle of the church. I'm a prophet for the church. I'm an evangelist for the church. Number two, they consistently demonstrate the ability to equip this grace in others. This is the one many of us have missed. You watch somebody that goes, he's just such a great teacher. Here's what I need to ask. Does he have the ability to equip that in others, to raise that up in others? Because a fivefold office will. Number three. They are giving their lives, their primary focus, gifts, and resources are serving the local church. See, this is where there's lots of confusion that I want to give clarity, okay? We all have the grace functions. A few walk as the offices. The few that walk as the offices, by the way, it does not mean they're better or holier. It doesn't even mean they carry more of that grace. It simply means that they're built to build the church, See, the offices weren't given for the world. The offices were given to equip the church to carry grace to the world. Let me say that again. The offices were not given to the world. The offices were given to the church to equip the church to carry grace to the world. So if you meet somebody and they say, I'm an apostle at my job. I'm an apostle at the warehouse. No, you're not. Because unless you've opened a local 5013C and you're the warehouse church... The offices were given to the church. The offices build the church to take grace to the world. Here's the truth. You walk in a high function of apostolic grace that has been equipped from the church that now you're pouring out to the world. And that's great because then you can do that and not have to carry the burden of trying to lead the local church. So when we talk fivefold offices, don't be too quick. You start walking around telling everybody I'm an apostle. I'm going to put you on the payroll, Okay. And then you're going to be responsible for leading the local church. It's not a higher measure. It's you have a function to build the church. And for some, they're like, why is he hammering this so much? Because when we go where we're going in the weeks to come, if you can understand. Because I've watched lots of people who have a great grace function, and then they get offended at the leader of the church. Because they have this, well, I have that function too. Who are you to tell me? And I would say, you don't understand that you're actually cutting yourself off from the life source that God gave you. Not because they're better, but because they're aligned. 
A fivefold leader has the grace to show you how to pour grace into the world, and you don't recognize it. So as we walk, all have the function, a few have the office. This would be the way that I would say this for us. Office leaders equip you in grace as the community of believers mature one another in grace. Okay? So I want to put a face on this so that we can see it. But first I want to give you a picture of what each one of these are. So these five graces that we talk about. The first one we're going to talk about is the apostolic grace. Now with the apostolic, when we talk about it, there are three words I want to give you here. Birth, build, and send. I've chosen a very radiant color here because the apostolic grace is all about life and vitality. This is all about health and longevity. When you see somebody with an apostolic grace, they can walk into a person, into a business, into a church, and see the whole thing from 30,000 feet to see this is what they need to do to be successful. Pastor Lynn, who walks as an apostle, his ministry for a long time has been building people to be as strong as they can be in every area of their life, in their marriage, in their finances, in their health. Why? Because he sees the totality of the person. So the apostolic grace is looking for health and longevity, and it looks for speed bumps that would stand in the way, the things that are going to throw you off. By the way, many of the church scandals that we've had, where you see this awesome preacher with all these gifts that has a moral failure, they needed apostolic grace in their life to be poured in and equipped. They missed it because this is about health and longevity. The second grace that we see is the prophetic grace. And the words with the prophetic grace are to hear and declare. Now with this one, I chose a bright, uh, a bright color because this is refreshing. This is actually lemonade right here. This would be really good if somebody wants it later. And the bottle says eternal. And that just, that's the Lord. Prophetic word for the prophetic grace. The prophetic grace is all about one thing. It's keeping our connection with God. When you find people with prophetic grace, they recognize that we are to be like Mary. We are to sit at Jesus' feet and that we are to do what Jesus said. We are only to hear what the Father says. So constantly, they're going to do what Pastor Ruth, who is a prophetess, did this morning. She said something at the beginning. I don't know if you guys even caught it, but I want to point it out because I love it. She started and she read a scripture this morning. And for many of us, we're still coming in. We're settling in. We're greeting one another. And Ruthie didn't get mad, but she's like, I'm going to read that again. Because some of y'all are still greeting, and there are some marching orders that your father wants you to breathe. And she started reading again. She had about halfway through the verse, and it was like this hush fell over the room. And suddenly, was there such peace in worship? Did you feel that? That's what happens when prophets and prophetesses start to lead. It's because they take us to the very heart of God. And so when you meet somebody with the prophetic, they're always going to be asking the question, what's the heart of God? What does God say about it? They're big on justice. They're going to be big on the heart of God. They're going to be big on obedience. They're going to be big on sitting in worship and reading your Bible. These are going to be these people that say, we've got to stay before the Lord. So check this out. These are two different graces, aren't they? This one's looking at the health of your finances and, you, you know, your retirement plan. And ha are you like just a jerk that is alienating people? And this one's like, we just need to connect with Jesus. Which one's true? Both of them. These are two of our graces. By the way, how many of these are in us? Uh, they're all in us because the Holy Spirit is in us, right? So the next grace is an evangelistic grace, okay? Evangelistic grace is seen by the words gather and ignite. And somebody might wonder, in fact, I might have some evangelists going, why'd you give us a dark color? <laughs> because the evangelists are going to be the ones that run faster than anyone else to the darkest place of the world to bring the light. You'll know you see an evangelist because they don't get scared by messy people at all. They walk into places they've never met a stranger. They come in and they see places where somebody says, well, I'm just terrible, I'm just this. They're the ones who can meet the, the drug addicts and the alcoholics and everything else, and they run and they go, be my best friend, because they are good news points of contact. They come and they say, more than anything else, I want you to get the clarity of the gospel. Jesus reigns, there's good news. They cut through the noise and the heaviness and the malaise and the offense and say, live from good news. Do you see these are three different graces? Which one do we need? We need all of them. We step forward into the shepherding grace. The words for shepherding would be to nurture and protect. Now, I chose this one. This is as close as I could get to like a terracotta or an earth tone, okay, because this would be the most natural place of what we can be. I want to tell you when offense comes in church, when deep church hurt comes, usually it's because this grace is not being elevated to the place that it needs to be. See, this is the grace that sees us as an individual and not a part of a crowd. It sees us not by our stances but by our faces. This is the grace that will sit with you and hear your story, and love you, and take time. This is the grace that would never leave you behind. This is the grace that recognizes people. This is the grace that will show up at hospitals. This is the grace that Pastor Chris, who walks as a strong shepherd, this is the grace that will send you the craziest video you could ever imagine on your birthday, because it's your birthday, and we just got to celebrate. It's a shepherding grace. 
Now, I want you to understand what starts to happen for some of us is you get apostolic churches that say, we need the whole person to be holy. You get these churches that say, we just need to sit and soak before Jesus. You get these that say, we need to go into the city and we need to end sex trafficking and orphanhood and everything right now. And this one says, we just need to love each other. And do you see why sometimes we have problems in the church? Because if you say any of those and put a period at the end as if you have the totality of the, of the whole revelation of God, the eye is saying to the hand, I don't need you. And that pride is the way the enemy comes in and tears up the church. Now, there's one more grace. I'm not saying I'm biased, but it's my favorite one. <laughs> Teaching. Teaching's about aligning and activating. Now, this one I intentionally chose, not putting any color here, not because teachers are bland, but because teachers' jobs more than anything else is to take what is confusing and inaccessible and to make it clear. Teachers are supposed to take things that people go, we can't solve that problem. And by the way, I'm going to tell you, because I'm best friends with one, if you go to a shepherd, okay, Pastor Chris, with these are problems we can't solve and here's deep theological questions and can you sit for two hours and talk about how baptism came to be the way baptism came to be, you will make him run into traffic. <laughs> He's like, I will love you, I will hug you, I will tell you some jokes, but please go ask Pastor Chuck. Because when you start to ask me, what I get most fired up about is I get most fired up about seeing something come align to align in your life and to activate. I'm going to take longer time to say, hey, I see a place we've been stuck, so we're going to slow down. I'm going to give you a warning and say, we're in a teaching series, so I want you to get all of this. Don't check out because it's a lot of information, but it's transforming. And so I want to give us a picture of what that could look like. If you could welcome with me on the platform my good buddy, Mr. Billy Williams. Come on up, Billy. Now, Billy, I call coach, okay? And that's because, Billy, how many years did you coach? 18. 18 years coached football. But here's the deal. That's not why I call him coach. In fact, I remember when he was done with his time coaching and shifting, and he said, well, I guess I won't be coach. And I was like, no, you've always been coach. This is a man, I just got to tell you, this is a man I have such deep respect for the way that he loves. In fact, when I heard what I was going to be doing here and I asked the Lord, like, who's a picture? Billy's face immediately came to me and the Lord was like, ask Billy. Ask him if he's here. Ask him if he'd be willing to participate because Billy lives out what you're about to see here, okay? So I asked Billy, as a part of his missional community, to take the five-fold test and to walk through them, okay? And so as we did that, I saw Billy's scores. Can we pull Billy's scores up? And we're going to come back to that slide we missed in just a sec. Okay, so here's Billy's scores. So when he's looking at the graces, now remember, Billy does not walk as an office leader. Why? Not because Billy's not as strong at it, but Billy's not called. His vocation is not to build the local church. Mine is. Does that make sense? I walk as an office gift. He walks as a grace function. Both of us have grace functions. These are Billy's grace functions. It's why the words don't say pastor, teacher, apostle, because I'm not, I'm not wanting to put the burden on Billy to be those things. I'm wanting Billy to recognize grace in him. And so we see Billy's grace. And so, Billy, you're number, wow. So evangelistic. All right, evangelistic people in the room, get excited. All right, Billy, here we go. So your evangelistic grace, your measure of evangelistic grace is like insane. So this is a high measure of grace that you've got there, okay? So when Billy walks in the room, this is what you're seeing. So what's the next on our list here? Next down after that, I think we have prophetic is 38. All right, so our prophetic. So Billy's also really strong in the prophetic. Now, not as much as what we have in the other, but still a very strong grace in his life. Okay, starting to see that? All right, I feel like a Holy Spirit bartender. Here we go, the next one. <laughs> Pastoral grace, shepherding grace. Shepherding grace is, is up there near, but once again, just a little bit lower. So we're watching, okay. Here we go. Those of you who are really like detailed, you're like, it's not quite the right line. Talk to me later. <laughs> you had teaching grace. Notice Billy, all of his in the middle. You see I had one that shot up really high, and he's got several in the middle. And this is crazy because many people would think right away, if you've ever known Billy, you might immediately think, no, he's got apostolic grace because we normally think about apostolic grace with leadership. We make a mistake. These are all leadership graces. You're a leader if you walk in the prophetic. You're a leader if you walk in the evangelistic. You're a leader if you walk in shepherding. You're a leader if you walk in teaching. So the, the problem we did in America was we, we started this church culture that said, if you're a leader, we're going to call you an apostle, and that becomes toxic, okay? The apostolic grace is a very specific kind of leadership, okay? Oh, it's kind of pink. All right, there we go. All right, so this is Billy right here. It's pretty cool. 
And I want you to see something about this. Because as Billy walks, just like I said at the beginning, how many of these graces are in Billy? Does Billy have the grace to help see people in his own life and see complex parts that he might not be passionate about but say, we need this to contribute to the health. We need to remove speed bumps. Does Billy have that grace in his life? Yeah. Does Billy have the grace to regularly hear from God, to sit before him, to get his marching orders, to do what Tracy did today and not say, oh, I'm not one of those? I, it looks like you are, right? Billy's got that. Does Billy have crazy amounts of grace to go into the dark places, which, by the way, 18 years coaching football, Billy was the guy that walked in and was like, you give me the roughest, toughest guy you could possibly imagine. I'm going to father him. I'm going to come around him. I'm going to believe in him. Billy has only one really standard I've ever watched him hold, and I've watched him again and again and again in his personal life and everywhere else go to the gates of hell. He says one thing. I need to actually be able to help you, so I'm going to ask that you be honest. I'm going to ask that you wouldn't live entitled. Is that fair? That's all Billy's ever going to say. But I've watched people burn Billy bad and then turn around later and go, I really missed it. And he was the first one. Why? Because he's coach and because he has evangelistic grace and he knows who he is. Okay? Does Billy have shepherding grace to stay in there, to nurture, to protect? Yes, he does. Does Billy have teaching grace? Yes. Now, here's the deal. Does Billy walk in the fullness that any of these are overflowing on their own right now with Billy just going and being Billy? No. Billy needs grace functions to be lifted in his life. So here's what happens. When Billy comes and says, I'm going to be a part of Overflow Church, and I'm going to plug in. How many years have you been at our church? Okay. So two decades. This is what I want you to understand. I've known this man for all of that time, okay? And he's allowed me to speak into his life as a teacher. So you know what he's got two decades of? The measure of the teacher in me pouring into the grace in him because that's what's supposed to happen. See, fivefold gifts equip you. But did you know it goes a little bit deeper? Because Billy actually walks also in a missional community. And in his missional community, Steve Cummins is a part of his missional community. Steve Cummins also walks in the function of grace. Remember what I said earlier. This is where this starts to make sense. I'm a teacher. I'm going to equip that grace, right? And that's going to increase where that is. And you're going to know how to go. It's a very specific thing that I do. But also when he walks in community... The people who walk in a great function of that grace are also going to increase his function. So the longer that he's with Steve, the more that he's going to see things in the scriptures that he never saw before. And actually, in Billy's missional community, I don't know, I think you've probably seen these reports, but this blew me away. So in your missional community, where they walked, you've got people that are like exploding in all of these pictures. I think I have a, a note here on it. So you have, you know, your bride, Diane, that comes and is super high in the pastoral. I would encourage you to listen to her. That would be great. You have, <laughs> listen, you have Courtney Lambert in your group that is super high in the apostolic. So here's what I would tell Billy. If Billy says, hey, I'm going at a place that I need to be equipped higher in the apostolic, here's the deal. I'm going to say two things, and I'm going to use a sports analogy, okay? Any baseball fans in the room? Yeah. Baseball fans? Okay, so here's the deal. If you have a pitcher who's your closer, okay, what do you need him to do? Josh, what do you need your pitcher who's a closer to do? What's important? Yeah, he's got to pitch, right? Does it matter that he's not the best batter on the team? Right? He needs to pitch. If he's not the best batter, it's okay. Does he have to be the fastest base runner? Does he have to be able to steal bases? No. But now here's the, here's the deal. Is he exempt from any of it? Can he just skip batting practice since he's a pitcher? No. So he needs to strengthen his weakness as much as he can. But we want him to spend the lion's share of his time in his strength because this is glory. Right? So for Billy, what I'm going to say is, actually, Billy, your lowest is apostolic. So I, I would tell you, when you start feeling like, oh, I'm getting so frustrated, I just can't see, you need to spend time around Courtney Lambert because she rocks it in the apostolic, and you're going to find that measure start to increase in you. And that's awesome. But then when you go further, you've got in your group, uh, Lisa Cummins, Laura Todd, they're super strong in the prophetic. As you spend time with them, what you're going to find is the prophetic grace is going to start to elevate in your life. Then what I would tell you is many people would say, well, I'm already strong in the, in the evangelistic. I'd say, no, that's why you need to stay there. And Josh Lambert and Anissa Tillett, man, you guys have got some evangelistic powerhouses in your group. So here's the deal. You get there, and oh, my goodness, we're about to have a mess in what's happening here because of the grace that's pouring through you. We talked about this pastoral grace. Pastor Chris, Julie Thomas, Curtis Todd, Cody Tillett, and Diane. That's a whole lot of shepherds pouring in. And then as I talked about, Steve comes to pour in you here. Do you start to see the picture of what's supposed to happen? So here's my question. What do you need? Do you need the office leaders? Yes. Do you need community where you stay face-to-face -face with people? Yes, because office leaders equip the grace in you and the community matures the grace in you. And if you get lopsided on either side, by the way, the people who run and say, well, we're just gonna do the maturing. We're just gonna do community, but we have no recognized leaders and we're mad at the church. I'm gonna tell you, that thing's gonna fall over. Why? Because Jesus said, I'll build my church not I'll build my parachurch.
okay. You go the other way and say, well, I'm just going to go to church long enough, and man, Pastor Chuck's such a great teacher, he's going to give me more than enough. Here's two things that are going to happen as a result of that. I'm going to promise you three things. One, you're not going to get filled. It's not going to happen. Two, you're going to blame me and be a hindrance on me because you're going to be pulling on me all the time, starting to say that I didn't shepherd you enough because of what I was actually supposed to be pouring out in teaching because you didn't get it in community. And three, you're going to get offended with the church at some point and probably want to leave and be no more equipped, and the church hasn't moved where it needed to move. We need both graces. So here's what I want to do right now. For my buddy Billy, there's two things Billy needs. One, we need to celebrate the heck out of the glory in Billy, yeah? yeah. So this man who walks in evangelistic grace has stood there. I want you to just extend your hands toward him. So Jesus, I receive my buddy, the coach, I received the ways, Father, that he has stood for my family, the many talks that we've had, the places where I can come to him when things are messy because I'm running. God, evangelistic grace isn't my first, but I'm running in messy ways as a foster family. And this is a man that he and his family have showed up every month at our doorstep, not for advice, but to say, hey, we're not in the place where we could foster. I wish we could right now, but we're with you and we're not going to let you fall. And every month showing up with a meal saying, what else can we do? How else can we support you? How else can we pray? I've watched him with the football teams and I've watched many young men's lives be transformed. Some of them we've seen the fruit, some of them they haven't, but he has been the difference between life and death because he went into a dark place and he saw them with the love of the Father and he didn't give up and he taught them what it was to be a man and to keep their commitments. I've watched him do it with his own children. I've watched him love them. And so in the name of Jesus, I call for the harvest. I call in his family and in his workplace for the harvest. May the glory in Billy continue to be equipped. He's plugged into community. He's been equipped. His grace is being matured. Would you now release it and let it pour out into the streets? Would you allow people to see the glory and the grace he brings? I'm asking for transformation at his job right now. I'm asking for transformation in his relationship with his kids who he adores right now. I'm asking that doors that have been blocked and closed off where he and Diane have sowed regularly and faithfully and through tears and blood and sweat, God, open the doors now. And I celebrate the glory in this friend. I ask that you would continue to mature it and equip it in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. I only have 30 more minutes. Just kidding. <laughs> Let me give you one last piece today, one last practical piece. If we can go back, Kenny, to that slide that I missed. I want to talk about what happens when you get around somebody who's strong in these graces. And this would be important for you to understand. When you get around someone who is strong in the apostolic, you get healthier. So right now, if you're in your life saying, our life is drama all the time, drama follows us all the time, and you've been blaming God. By the way, that's an orphan spirit. It's beneath you. Stop it. You're not a victim. You're more than victorious in Christ. If your life is constantly found with victimhood, it's because you're not healthy. And I say that in love, and I'm not saying you've done anything wrong. I'm saying that you need the apostolic around you. When you get around the apostolic, you get healthier. When you get around the prophetic, you desire to be holier. Did you hear that with the worship team this morning as Maya started singing? Did you find yourself going, oh, man, I just want to want it like she wants it. When you get around the evangelistic, you radiate with hope. If you're always walking around like Eeyore when you've been called to be Tigger, please, for the love of God, get around evangelistic people who will tell you it's not worse. By the way, the human heart never changes. The transmission of information changes. Can we stop this thing about saying how things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse? Listen, it's already all been solved by a Savior named Jesus. There's hope. Shepherding. You get around shepherding, you feel heard. And finally, you get around teaching, and you stir with hunger. Okay, so these are the graces that we need in our life. And the way God has done that is he's brought us, you need to be a part of a missional community that walks in these. And by the way, I'm asking every missional community, Pastor Josh, who's our pastor of missional community leaders, we're asking every missional community to go and take these tests again, because over the next weeks, we're going to start to actually show you how to walk this out together. We need that, but you also need to walk in our church. And so real quick, I want to show you this. We've never actually said this on a slide before, but at Overflow Church, our five-fold leadership looks like this. Our apostle of Overflow Church is Pastor Lynn. That's where he walks. You see what he's doing with Together, uniting the churches. Pastor Lynn walks as a spiritual father to many, many, many sons and daughters. And actually, I tell you that I'm your pastor. He's my pastor. That's where he walks. We've watched Lynn walk there. Do you receive Pastor Lynn as your apostle? Good. 
Pastor Cindy and Ruth are our prophetesses, okay? And they walk in the office to call us to hear God and to declare it. So you notice today that Ruth called the charge in worship and Pastor Cindy brought up Tracy Irwin and they have a prophetic equipping. So here's my point. When prophetesses show up and say, you need to be at this to stir this up, you don't look and go, would I rather do that or like a kickball game? You look and say, the prophetesses spoke. If I need that in my life, that's where I need to be. Do you receive Pastor Cindy and Pastor Ruth as prophetesses? The evangelist, Pastor Mickey, Pastor Aaron, and Pastor Brenda. And this is what's beautiful. You guys have seen it from Pastor Mickey and Pastor Aaron, and maybe some of you thought, no, Pastor Brenda's a shepherd. You missed it. Actually, here's the truth about Pastor Brenda. Pastor Brenda is an evangelist who has worked the heck out of her shepherding muscles. The, the two, evangelistic and shepherding, are the two people, people, people uh, graces. But what you're going to find first and foremost about Pastor Brenda is she wants to go into the messy places, watch her anytime in student ministry, and to bring hope. Do you receive pastors Mickey, Aaron, and Brenda as our evangelists? Pastors Chris and Pastor Josh, who's just come on with us, are our shepherds, the ones to say that we want everybody to be seen. We don't want you carrying church hurt. By the way, if you're looking and saying, I just feel like this isn't working out, that I don't feel seen, these are the first people that I want you to talk to. But sometimes what's going to happen is they're going to try to shepherd you, and there's a systemic problem. There's a place where you need a teacher or an evangelist or an apostle to walk through the door. Would you receive Pastor Chris and Pastor Josh as your shepherds? And then if you haven't caught on by this time this morning, I am a teacher, okay? And I want to make sure that the complex things in life become clear. And I want to say more than anything else, what I don't want to walk out today is, great message, Pastor, or wow, colorful liquids, that was cool. Like, that's not what I want. What I want over the coming weeks is for you to hold up a mirror and say, I see more clearly who I am in the kingdom, who I need to connect with, and how we can walk together. And Pastor, I'm not giving up. If you say that, then I've done my job as a teacher. Would you receive me as your teacher? Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We passed with a unanimous vote, guys. There we go. So in that, this is where I just want to end for us today. Grace, glory, and a measure. We've all received all of this grace because the Holy Spirit's in us. And just like Billy's numbers, there are places that are fixed in you. You don't have to audition for your seat at the table. You just have to be honest and get healthy, and it'll pour out the way it's supposed to. But those measures, because of the glory of God, are intended to increase and to overflow. And it only happens as you place yourself under fivefold leaders and as you walk in a fivefold community. And so for us, we have a very simple decision today to say whether you're doing it already like Billy and have been for 20 years to recommit, or it's the day that you say, I'm not going to be distracted, I see my marching orders, would we say yes? Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask in this moment just a few questions. The first question I want to ask is right where we started. Now, for some, you're checking out Overflow Church this morning. I hope you've heard a little bit about our heart. I want to promise you, we don't always have this many illustrations or go quite this long. But I hope you'll see our heart as a church. I want to talk for just a minute to those of you who have made Overflow Church home. Say, Overflow is my church home. So this is what I'm going to ask. And let me do this right now with, with everybody's eyes closed because I don't want you looking around distracted by anybody else. This is you and Jesus. You desperately need two things in your life for the glory that God put in you and the glory God put in me to move together and change our city. You need to choose to align under the fivefold leaders. If Overflow Church is your home, those are your fivefold leaders. You need to say, I'm willing. I'm willing to follow them. I will receive from them. I won't push against them. Maybe there's a place where you've said something about one of these leaders, and the Holy Spirit's convicting your heart right now. You say, I'll go make it right. Maybe there's a place where you're struggling with one of these leaders, and you need to go talk to them. But right now, what I'm asking every person who's a member of Overflow Church, if you would say, I will receive the fivefold leaders of this body, I'm going to ask that you would just lift one hand up in the air. I'll receive the fivefold leaders. I'm going to ask, listen, do it like you're actually excited. Yeah. Keeping that hand there, I want to ask a second question. If you will recognize this morning that we can never be matured apart from community, which means you need to walk in regular relationship with identifiable people in this body, 
to stir the graces in you, to mature the graces in you. And you're saying, I don't even have all the answers yet, but I'm no longer going to treat it like an option. I'm going to stay in, and even if I don't feel like it's as built as it should be, I'll bring my glory as an opportunity to see it. I will walk in community here. If you would agree with that, I'm going to ask you to lift the other hand. See, both hands in the air is the international symbol of surrender. And in this place, I just want to ask Holy Spirit, would you pour over this body? Would you pour over this body? Would you pour over this body? I speak on behalf of the fivefold leaders. We don't think we've arrived anywhere. We don't think we have it figured out. We stand like the Apostle Paul saying, I don't get it. I'm the least of the least of the least. But you gave me this lane and I'll say yes. And I just want to thank you for our fivefold leaders saying yes. We received them. And Father, I want to thank you for the community we're building. We don't have all the answers in our missional communities, but we will stay together and your glory will come. Jesus, would you do it now? Now, while you're right there, you can put your hands down for just a second. I want to ask you just a personal question or two that's going to set us up for the weeks to come. I want to ask you the question as you're standing there. Do you know the glory that you carry? Did you start to see yourself in one of these pictures? I would encourage you, if you haven't yet, go on our website, myoverflowchurch.com. Take that five-fold test. It's a five-minute test. Now, I need to give you a disclaimer. It's just a tool or a resource. It's not a crutch. It's not a personality test. Please do not use it as a limiter. Oh, I'm this. I'm not that. No, the Holy Spirit's in you. You're in all of it, and it's all supposed to explode out of you. All we're trying to see is where are your burdens and passions and gifts most evident so you can run right away. Do you know the glory in you? Second question I want to ask as you're here is are you choosing the environments and the activities that increase that measure and that glory in you? This morning, if you are not a part of a missional community, I want to ask you to join a missional community. I'm going to ask you to see Pastor Chris today and say, I'm ready. Help me find my place. But listen, I need to say this. If you're a part of a missional community and you're like, hey, Pastor, that visual was awesome. That doesn't feel like my missional community. That doesn't feel like my life. Then I would say more than likely what's happening because we're just building. And what we're transitioning from, guys, by the way, your missional community leaders are rock stars. What they're transitioning from is decades in the American church of one person leading the show. And the problem is the one person leading the show might be a, a shepherding grace. They might be a teaching grace. So you might go to your, even look at your missional community now, you might be like, man, the teaching is awesome, but I don't feel like those things are happening. Right! Because we need the glory of the fivefold together. So I want to say this to you. If you're in a missional community and you're not seeing it yet, this is the only thing I want to ask. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't fault your leader. We won't fault one part of the body for not being another part of the body. We will instead come and bring the glory in us and see fullness together. Don't give up. Because the one thing I can promise you is we will never see the community heaven wants if we won't even get in the room with each other. Would you put yourself in the environment? All right, last question. Would you lay your hand on your heart for just a minute? This entire message has been rooted in one word, and the word is grace. Can I just ask right now, are you living in God's delight? Are you living in a place of delight right now? Are you living under burden? Maybe you're even in the place that you came in, you were like, oh my gosh, that's so much, and I don't know how I'm going to align all that, and I don't know how my schedule's going to go. Stop. Would you just breathe for a moment? The God of the universe knows you, loves you, adores you, has paid for you, is sufficient for you, rejoices over you with singing. He dances when you are unaware. He always lives to intercede for you. 
He alone is enough for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He could never forget you. He could never walk past you. He delights in you. Are you living in God's delight? And if you're not, this is all I'm going to ask. The burden, the weight, the distraction, the thing that's in the way. God, I'm not living in your delight. I need you to know because Jesus paid it all. There's nothing for you to pay. There's just junk for you to let go of. So right now, if you've been distracted, God, I'm distracted. And I just want to be back at the delight of your heart. Would you just let the distraction go? If before you walked in here, this weekend, you did something shameful, and the enemy's just trying to beat you up, and you're trying to think, oh man, I said I would be better, and now I fell into this thing again, and now you're trying to reset a track record to prove to yourself you're holy enough. Christ alone purchased your holiness. Would you let it go? Father, I'm sorry. I receive your grace. The one prayer I want to close with this morning for every person, wherever you need it, Father, I receive your grace. I receive your grace but I need you to know what you're saying before you say it. It's, Father, I receive your delight. Father, I receive your joy for me. And Father, I receive whatever gift I need to walk in victory. So would you do that now? Hand on your heart. If you've been walking under a weight or a burden, this simple prayer, Father, I receive your grace.